Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Podlight, a podcast produced by San Jose Spotlight. I'm co-host Nick Preciado and editor at San Jose Spotlight. San Jose could soon prohibit homeless people from setting up camp or living in their vehicles within 150 feet of schools, which is expected to affect more than 1,000 school sites and daycares. Supporters of these no-encampment zones say the move is necessary to protect students, faculty, and staff from harassment and campuses from vandalism. But opponents say a blanket ban just doesn't cut it, and that the city needs to provide more housing for homeless residents before displacing them. There are currently more than 6,000 homeless residents living in San Jose, the majority being without shelter. With these no-encampment zones, advocates say the city is on its way to criminalizing the people who are struggling to secure housing in one of the most expensive places to live in the country. Joining me to talk more about this is Peter Ortiz, elected last year to the San Jose City Council to represent District 5. He has experienced homelessness and recently spoke at a news conference with Mayor Matt Mahan in support of the no encampment zones near schools. Hi, Councilmember. Welcome to the show. Happy to be here. Also joining us is Todd Langton, Executive Director of Agape Silicon Valley. The nonprofit group delivers food, water, and clothing to the Silicon Valley's unhoused residents and works to connect them with the region's resources. Hey, Todd, welcome back to the show. Thank you. Great to be here. Thank you, Nick. So, Councilmember, let's start with you. Uh, You've previously said these 150-foot school setbacks aren't a progressive or a conservative issue and that it's an area where you can all agree. Can you explain what you mean by that and your support for these setbacks? Absolutely. Thank you for the question. Um, And let me be clear in saying that the way in which we support our unhoused population should also be not seen as a progressive or conservative conservative issue, um, but instead should be led with empathy and support. Um, What I mean by saying that these setbacks aren't progressive or conservative means that fundamental concerns of safety, such as the conditions where our students receive their education, should be the highest uh, standard. Looking the other way um, and allowing immigrant working class children to be followed um, and threatened on their way to school is not progressive. And putting guardrails so that the side effects of the houseless crisis do not have negative impacts on our children should not be considered a uh, conservative issue. Um, What we've seen in many working class communities is that children already struggle to fulfill their education, be it through poor infrastructure, lack of wraparound support services, and environmental health factors that uh, lead to setbacks. So I I support this policy because it's my responsibility to advocate for the children and families of East San Jose, and and that is what I was elected to do, and that's what I intend to. Thank you for clarifying that. Now, uh, Todd Langton, you've previously said that there should be a few thousand beds available for homeless residents before establishing known encampment zones such as these. Where do you stand on these setbacks? I know that the, the city is building housing and is in the process of making more beds, but I don't think it's at the rate of how many homeless people there are in the city. No, it's not at the rate. They're drastically behind and they were not, they're not going to keep up at the pace that they're going. So uh, where I stand on this is that uh, Mayor Mahan's original Uh, proposal is that we have places for them to go. And so if you can imagine that you are being evicted or evaded, or you're kicked out of your home or your apartment uh, with, you got a two week notice and you have nowhere to go. How would you feel about that? How, what sort of anxiety uh, trauma would you be experiencing? So I understand the the, uh, logic and the reasoning of the issue of the 150 feet, but we've got to have a place for them to go. And there are places for them to go if the city and the county would start working functionally and not dysfunctionally as they have been together. 
Uh, you've got lots. There's there's no shortage of land. There's no shortage of money in Silicon Valley. There is a shortage of will to simply do the right thing. You've had communities like uh, Sonoma County, Sacramento's got one going now, one up in Chico, that they put these villages up very, very quickly. And uh, we've got <laughs> just one instance of a large property that we have vacant for the last 20, 30 years is 80 acres. They're sitting vacant at the fairgrounds that could had, could take care of uh, safe parking and uh, three, four, five, six hundred uh, small homes for these people to go. Let's get those in place before we start abating people within a 150 feet of a, of a church or a school. One thing also I want to point out is that the homeless people are not a monolithic group. They are very diverse. And here's my philosophy. And I've been doing this for a while now. And I, I was out last uh, yesterday, on Saturday, excuse me, out there with the unhoused. And there's a lot of good people out there. And their biggest decision is one person we spoke with. Their biggest decision is half the time it's been half the time they're focusing on what can I eat, where can I eat. The other part of the time is where can I sleep. The other guy we interviewed said, he said, I asked him, what do you want the public to know about the unhoused? He says, we're not all bad people. Most of us are good people. And just like the housed population, there's good and bad in the housed population. We would never. If we have problems with the house population, we would never say, no, you cannot go within 150 feet of a school or a church or a public library. So we're categorizing, we're, we're uh, stereotyping this entire group as one monolithic group and they're all the same. And that is simply not true. But bottom line is, let's find a place for them to stay, a place where they can lock their, their shelter and have a place to sleep without anxiety during the night. And uh, then we can talk about these these abatements. Bottom line, we should not have abatements unless we have a place for them to go. And that's very simple. That's common sense. That's humanitarian. That's compassionate. Our city and our county need to start being more humane and more compassionate with the unhoused. Thank you for clarifying that. Now, this next question is for both of you. And council member, I'd like to hear from you first. Um, so San Jose Mayor Matt Mahan previously said he wanted to wait to enforce these no encampment zones until there was enough housing uh, for those without shelter. He since flipped his stance and said he won't wait. So I'm curious, what options are available for people now in terms of shelter and where are the people who could be swept from this? Supposed to go? No, I, I appreciate um, your question. And I just want to make sure that, um, you know, I, I just say that me and, and the mayor are two different individuals. And uh, when I think about buffer zones, I don't I don't see them as the same as uh, the, his proposal for uh, encamp uh, no encampment zones, um, because the purpose I'm I want to pursue uh, for this policy is in regards to the safety of our our children. At this time, I'm not interested in implementing buffer zones in other areas um, until, you know, as was said, we have the infrastructure needed, whether that is safe parking sites, temporary shelter, uh, or permanent solutions. Um, you know, I, I represent uh, 100,000 people in District 5, probably over that, if you include the undocumented community. I mean, I don't have the luxury of uh, 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 being subtle uh, with how we approach it. And if a child does get hurt, um, which I believe we're heading in that direction, uh, that, that responsibility falls on my arm and, and, and on my shoulders. Um, my, my main motivation in, in, in this policy is to provide our student population uh, here in the city, a safe um, and secure learning environment, and, and that's all. In the in the case that 
uh, encampments are swept. Our our homeless concern team uh, aids through support services such as identifying homeless shelters, showers, laundry, meals, medical services, case management, employment training, and and vaccination uh, options. If at that moment, um, you know, they do observe individuals that would be better served by another resource, um, whether it be for mental uh, substance abuse or any other behavioral issues, they'll be referred to the Santa Clara County Mobile Crisis uh, Response uh, Team. Thank you for that. Uh, Todd, same question. Where are the people who could be swept supposed to go? What options are available for them for shelter? I I know you've touched on the fairgrounds. You've, You've long advocated the fairgrounds as a place uh, that could be used as a, a housing site. Yes, well, there's there's really no place for them to go. There's very few places to go. We call the homeless hotline numerous times with our unhoused friends, and it goes into voicemail. Uh, sometimes they answer, sometimes they don't. There's very little follow up once we when we do leave a voicemail. But quite often, the encampment, the shelters are full. But the shelters are not a good place for the unhoused generally. Yes, to stay warm for a night or two. But they, you put them in a gymnasium with cots four, five, six feet apart. You've got all sorts of issues with uh, COVID issues. You've got uh, domestic violence uh, in those type of shelters. Uh, the bottom line is there's a couple thousand people each night that have nowhere to go. And so if we abate them and we sweep them, they're just going to go to somewhere else and cause cause the challenges and the problems in that neighborhood that are caused by, by the unhoused. I have a phrase called, uh, we, we all know what NIMBY means, not in my backyard. Well, how about a NIMPHY, not in my front yard? And every time we do, do an abate, abatement or a sweep, they're going to set up camp somewhere else and the challenges will, will, will follow. But the biggest issue with these abatements and sweeps is the trauma and the destabilization of that individual. And quite often, uh, I just want to highlight something. Yes, I, I'm all for the safety of the children. I'm also all for the safety of, of the women. For the average woman, unhoused woman has been raped at least once. And they need protection, they need safety. And again, the theme should be, okay, if, we're gonna, if we have to do an abatement or a sweep, here's, here's where, put up the notice for the abatement in the sweep. And then section two of the abatement, here's where you can go. And section three of the abatement supplier, and we're going to help get you there. So we can't just say, uh, we've got some places for you to go and everything's fine and we'll keep on sweeping you and abating you. No, that's, that's not going to satisfy the Martin versus Boise or the Warren versus Chico lawsuits. So if the city and the county want to continue, not the county, but the city want to continue these, these abatements and, and in this harsh stance that they, they want to take on the unhoused, they're going to waste a lot of money in litigation just as uh, Chico and Boise and, and some other cities have. Let's do the right thing. And the right thing is, if you're going to abate, you've got to have a place for them to go and a place where they can lock their door and sleep at night. And let's end the trauma and the destabilization of our unhoused. A lot of the problems that are happening with our unhoused are due to that trauma and the destabilization. I just want everybody to imagine for a minute that tonight when you go home, you cannot, when you want to go to sleep tonight, you cannot lock your door. And if somebody wanted to just take a knife and cut the, the, the walls of your home, they couldn't get in. They could get in easily. How well would you sleep tonight? And then tomorrow morning when you went to work, knowing that you could not lock your home up and all your possessions were able to be taken, how well would you function at work? You didn't sleep the night before. All sorts of decisions are going to uh, 
uh, you made poorly and uh, your lifestyle and your mental and physical well-being can go downhill very, very quickly. And that's what happens with our abatements and our sweeps. So we need to simply be more humane. Let's find a place for them to go. Right now, we have way too many people without a place to go. And I think it's more than 2,000. It's probably more like 3,000 that don't have a place to go. And we need more uh, more transitional housing, more bridge housing. Yes, we also need more uh, permanent housing. But we have barren land sitting vacant right now. Let's Let's get that land. Let's put it to use. And let's stop wasting the billions of dollars that our state and our county and city are, are spending. And what are we getting for those dollars? It, the homeless problem is getting worse and worse and worse. The inhumanity is getting worse. Let's get all these different silos that continue to work separately from one another. Let's all get together and work, uh, work together in one silo and get this problem, uh, get this problem fixed. It's going to get worse. San Jose is on the verge of becoming San Francisco regarding homelessness. One place that homeless residents may be able to go uh, is a safe parking site that the city just opened. It offers 42 spaces for residents uh, living in their vehicles. There's also another site with dozens of spaces expected to open next year. Uh, But council members like David Cohen have said that's nowhere near enough for the estimated 750 RVs that San Jose residents are living in the city. I'm sorry, I'm also not sure if that's just RVs or if that includes vehicles as well. So that number could potentially be higher. Councilmember Ortiz, I'd like to hear from you on this. What is needed to accelerate the process to open more safe parking sites as an alternative housing solution? That's a great question, um, which unfortunately uh, isn't answered so so easily. Um, ultimately, our end goal is a combination of permanent supportive housing, safe parking sites, and temporary shelters, all of which I fought for uh, as this city council discussed Measure E during the 2023 budget cycle. Um, in short, we need land, be it private or public, but we need land which can be worked into a serviceable area for safe parking. Um, for reference, the Berryessa safe parking site, um, which is being discussed right now, will require about $4.3 million in infrastructure improvements, including site grading and paving, soil off-haul, fence installation, trenching for utilities, utility connections, implementing stormwater requirements, and demolition of existing structures. Um, so it's, it's, it's uh, a process, and um, it's, it's much, co- much more complex than it sounds when we discuss it. Uh, I'm also interested in legislation such as uh, Yes in God's Backyard, uh, which would provide opportunities for us to manage sites on churches who have been proven to be great partners in supporting our unhoused community. Amen to that, Peter. Todd, do you have anything to add to that before we move on? Yes. Uh, you think about all the VTA parking, uh, VTA parking spots across the whole Silicon Valley. There's, I don't know how many, there's dozens. And every time I drive one, they're empty, drive past one, they're empty. Uh, there's lots of land out there. Um, when I think about, again, back to the fairgrounds, not much needs to be done to the fairgrounds to open the gates, let RVs and cars go park there, have some security, have, have some restrooms, uh, some wash stations and, and toilets. Um, again, if we if we look up to the mountains right now and there's a big fire going on in Los Altos Hills, in which we've had in the past, we would call that a natural disaster and a humanitarian crisis. What would we do? What would the city and the county do? And they've done this across the country. We're probably going to see this in Florida today and tomorrow. They're going to open up the fairgrounds and they're going to put up facilities to take care of that humanitarian crisis. The fairgrounds in these different communities across the country. 
Watch what happens this week down in Florida. We have a humanitarian crisis right here in Silicon Valley, and we don't treat it as such. We treat our unhoused, our homeless, as degenerates, as uh, as low class human beings that we don't need to care for. Most of us, most of our public cares more about uh, their pets than we do about our unhoused neighbors and family and friends. We need to take care of them. We've got the land. We've got the facilities. It doesn't take a year's worth of study or two years worth of study, millions and millions of dollars to pay for that study to figure out where somebody could park their doggone car in their, in their RV. We've got the space. We need the will. I want to add that we need more politicians. I, I really admire uh, Liz Cheney and, uh, and, and the other uh, uh, former congressperson. Uh, that stood up and they said uh, they stood up for the right thing and they got voted out of office. And we're going to see that in this next general presidential election. There's eight people who are on the stage, two or three of them are taking a stand. They're not going to be voted in because they did, they said and did the right thing. We need more politicians that will say and do the right thing and not worry about getting elected the next time. What is the right thing? We treat this with urgency. We have, that we have a humanitarian crisis. We have the land. We have the money. Let's get it done. Let's get let's get those cars and RVs parked in a safe place where people can stabilize their lives. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Hello, Josh Bruce here, co-founder of San Jose Spotlight. Did you know that San Jose Spotlight is Silicon Valley's only nonprofit news organization? That's right. Our impact journalism is funded by generous readers like you. And this year, we have plans to expand our reporting to other cities in Santa Clara County. If you find value in our reporting, consider becoming a sustaining member today with a monthly or annual recurring donation by visiting our website, sanjosespotlight.com. Thank you. As you walk around the neighborhood, you may have noticed that yards have evolved with less grass and more native plants. How is your yard looking? Are you ready to replace your water-thirsty lawn and create a modern and beautiful water-efficient landscape? If you live in Santa Clara County, Valley Waters rebates can help you pay to upgrade. Visit watersavings.org today to evolve your yard. Councilmember Ortiz, what is homelessness like in your district and how is it impacting schools and the students you represent? And as an aside, I know that you've also experienced homelessness. I was wondering if you could talk about that experience as well and maybe how that shaped your approach to these kind of policies. Yeah, no, absolutely. I really um, appreciate the question and and I appreciate you highlighting the issues as it relates to Eastside San Jose because there's been a lot of discussions on this conversation, but the people saying those comments don't live in my community. They don't experience what happens in my community um, and they don't understand uh, um, uh, the issues that face uh, the neighborhoods in, in Eastside San Jose. Um, and, uh, but unfortunately, um, the topic of homeless in, in District 5 uh, has been scaffolded, right? Um, with both individuals who are suffering from homelessness and individuals who participate in, in criminal activity. Um, but I want to be clear that all houseless um, are not involved in criminal activity, um, and nor should they be uh, portrayed as criminals. However, on the east side, we do see a population that are. Um, they are not criminals because they are unhoused. They are individuals participating in criminal activity who also happen to be houseless. Um, you, we have individuals caught on film trespassing on the school property, 
vandalizing school property, stealing school vehicles, following uh, young girls home as they walk from school. In our Mayfair community across the street from a school, an unhoused gang has taken over a creek, uh, recruiting youth, threatening staff at both the community center and Our Lady of Guadalupe Church. Um, in the Pokeway neighborhood, we have individuals who are living in their car um, who are participating in prostitution uh, right across the street from a, a middle school. And, I, and I, as I mentioned, I realized that the nexus of homelessness and criminality does not apply to all encampments. Um, so I'm, I'm open to seeing this policy be, be used as a tool when issues escalate. Right. I'm open to looking at compromises in, the, in this policy, but due to the activity that we're experiencing in our backyard or in our front yard, um, me as as someone who ran to represent this community, um, I, I got to uh, take action and 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 that's through through policy. Um, in regards to my own experience, I, I grew up in a working class household who was raised by um, a single mother um, with three three kids, um, and we were very um, uh, uh, housing vulnerable. We, you know, she she when my father left, she paid the entire mortgage, and we went into uh, foreclosure several times. And um, there was a situation when I, I was eighteen where I was homeless and I had to sleep in, in parks. Um, I had to call people to sleep in their beds. Um, you know, but I, I understood that the best place that I should sleep at night was not right in front of a school. Um, because I, I just understood that people would have a problem with that. And that, and I'm, I'm not saying that we need to demonize or criminalize homelessness. I'm just saying we need to put guardrails in to prioritize the safety of our children. I want to add to that if I could, Nick. Um, so we, we all know that we have, we, there's a gang problem throughout the U.S. Uh, there's a gang problem in San Jose, Salinas, and so forth. A lot of these gang members are housed, and they belong to different ethnicities. We're not going to categorize those people and say, uh, okay, this ethnicity, this group, this monolithic group cannot be not have access to certain services or a certain land or, or go a certain area, participate in a certain area. We don't, we wouldn't do that. So um, back to, so again, the, the unhoused, the homeless are not a monolithic group. There's very diverse. We've got women that we need to protect. There's elderly that we need to protect. But again, it's very common sense. Let's find a place for them to go before we issue an abatement or these type of, these type of rules. Uh, very simple analogy. We talked about crime and, and so forth. If we arrest somebody for a crime, whether they be housed or unhoused, we've got somewhere for them to go, right? It's called a jail. And if they get convicted, they go to prison. And yet we're going we're gonna to continue to, and I use that just as analogy, not as the homeless or, or criminals, because most of them are not. But let's, be, let's make some common sense out of this. If they can't stay here, then they need to go there. That's pretty simple. Let's have a place for them to go before we put these rules and uh, and laws in place. It's it's common sense. It's humanitarian. It's humane. It's compassionate. You got to have a place for them to go. Otherwise, they'll go to another neighborhood, and their 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 life will be destabilized. They'll do what they can to stay alive, and we'll just push in the can down the road down the literally pushing the, the, the problem down the road into somebody's front yard, into someone else's school district, 
or a church or a retail business. So again, it's not complicated. Have a place for them to go. And by the way, 80 acres have been sitting barren for 20, 30 years now it's at the fairgrounds, the most underused, underutilized fairgrounds in the entire state, Santa Clara County fairgrounds. That's shame. That's shameful. Um, well, first, we, the city doesn't have any authority over the county uh, fairgrounds, so there's not much you know I could say about that. Um, and the next, uh, Todd, do you live on the east side? No, I do not. Are you aware of the, the issues that are going on in our neighborhood? There, yes, and those issues are going on in most most neighborhoods where the unhoused are. Yeah, yeah, in the east side, in areas like District Seven, District mm-hmm. Five, and District uh, yeah. Three. I was elected to address it, and I can't look the other way. I understand that this isn't the most favorite uh, policy of everyone, but it, it's a solution to an issue until we could have a better solution. But most of those unhoused in the East Side are not criminals. And let's treat them individually and not, mon- not as a, a monolithic group. And let's, it's, it's very simple. Let's have a place for them to go. No, I don't live in the East Side. I service the East Side. Our group goes and helps these individuals. Uh, we, we believe that if somebody's fed and they're warm and they have a place to stay at, they have a tent or a sleeping bag, they have a hygiene kit, they're going to make better decisions during the day. But we got all sorts of nonprofits, small advocacy groups that are doing the job for the city and the county. We want the city and the county to step up and do their job. And I agree with you. This fairgrounds is not part of the city's responsibility, but that they can certainly endorse and keep keep uh, putting the pressure on the county to to, uh, to take care of this issue. But there's a lot of city property that's owned that could be used for this. Again, pretty common sense. You don't push people away without a place for them to stay. I hear, I hear that, Todd. And I just want to reinforce that you don't live in the east side. And you may think you understand the issues, but you get to go home afterwards. We live in this community. I, I visit there weekly. So I, I understand the homeless issue better than most. I'm yeah. sure. Well, last question here. The legality of these, uh, Council Member, I think you call these buffer zones, uh, has been called into question. Uh, the Silicon Valley Law Foundation has actually argued that they violate constitutional law. Todd, I believe you brought this up earlier, this case, uh, Martin v. Boise. Uh, the foundation cites that case, which found that government can criminalize homelessness when there isn't enough shelter space available or without first providing housing or shelter. So, Council Member, what are your thoughts on the legality of what the city intends to enforce? So nowhere in the policy that we drafted is language referring to police as a response to homelessness, nor do we mention incarceration or fines. This memo does not criminalize the homeless. It simply asks them to relocate from around our schools, something that we should simply all agree on. If I wanted to camp, uh, go camp in front of a school, I'd be asked to leave. If our neighbors wanted to do that, they'd be asked to leave. All we're asking is that we we create this buffer zone around our schools so that we do not continue to see these issues on the east side. Because if something happens to a little schoolgirl, we're going to be the ones responsible for not taking action. And although I, I am concerned about the perception of criminalizing the how the unhoused, I've been v- having very uh, uh, insightful conversations with activists who are showing that there are criminal organizations who are within these communities and they scapegoat uh, 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 the unhoused as essentially a smokescreen for their business. I've been speaking with San Jose Councilmember Peter Ortiz and Todd Langton of Agave Silicon Valley. Thanks for coming on the show, you two. That's it for this episode of The Podlight, a podcast produced by San Jose Spotlight. I'm editor Nick Preciado. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.